what is up our metal maniacs and you got the metal gods podcast celebrating the 42nd anniversary of british steel you've got george you've got tom and you've also got joe from in the lap of the pods queen podcast and you've got another podcast coming tom what are you drinking over there um this is stolshania vodka very nice yeah we used to be mostly a beer show but now we're getting a little uh a little yeah. hard liquor mixed in there, and that's yeah. fun too. Hey, you know, like like I like the vodka has a good bite, and it really takes um the edge off because you know sometimes before I start these shows, not that I'm necessarily anxious, but I don't know sometimes I feel tense until we start recording, and then once we get into the groove of things, it it, it all starts to flow. But I've also got a backup because I've also got um a apothic merlot red wine. Oh, a man comes prepared. Yeah, I gotta get got back the one on beer right here. I gotta um, get back on the beer thing though, because that was fun. Like just going out and mm-hmm. finding different beers to try. As for me, got a little Sam Adams Summer Ale, the oh, citrus wheat. So and good. Starting to feel warm where we live over here in the New York, New Jersey area. So you know what? What better way to ring it in than with a nice summer ale? Could nice not crisp. Agree more. Anyway, listen, gentlemen, we've got a great episode today. We are talking about the opening track of the legendary British Steel album, Rapid Fire. Yes, we are. Yep. A damn good one. It is. Uh, it's a banger. I've been listening to it all morning, and I was listening to British Steel um, earlier in the week in preparation. Yeah, I knew we wanted to do some British Steel, and then... I asked you, Joe, hey, what song would you want to talk about? And Rapid Fire was your suggestion. Damn good one, man. That song is a banger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For me, Rapid Fire's the most Judas Priest, Judas Priest star. Do you know what I mean? It just sounds like Judas Priest. Perfect opener to the album as well. Mm -hmm. It is a killer opener, man. Just like that immediate rip. And Rob Halford just comes in with his typical like incredible lyricism just pounding the world like a battering ram and i believe him it's like oh i'm oh, i don't absolutely. know where this is going absolutely. oh yeah awesome song but uh hey i guess let's uh bring it back to the intro and then get the introductions done yeah. and then we can uh, really break it down yeah i think it's high time that we introduced our listeners to joe so as joe said he's from the excellent podcast in the lap of the pods which is dedicated to Queen, but recently has been branching out into covering other bands occasionally, like ACDC and Iron Maiden. They had some good episodes on them recently as well. And of course, they're on the Deep Dive Network along with us. So the finest podcast network in the world. That's it. So Joe, yeah, I'll turn it over to you, man. My name's Joe. Um, I'm uh, one third of the, the Lap Pods podcast. I do it with my two friends, David and Paul. We basically dissect Queen's entire back catalogue of music and, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we praise it heavily, but we're not afraid to tell it when it's, you know, when it's not very good. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, if you want an honest opinion of Queen's music, then you can head over to our podcast in the lap of the pods and you'll probably, uh, you'll probably shit your pants because we don't really hold back. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Yeah, I've been doing this a little while now, nearly two years, so yeah. If that doesn't sell you immediately, then I don't know what will. Yeah, and listen, you've even gone beyond uh, Queen music and you've explored 
like Roger Taylor solo albums that he did when Queen was yeah. inactive. So yeah. like it's not just like the core discography no. You're really going all in on it. Yes, there's the the, the solo um, albums from each member of the, the band as well. So yeah, it's been uh, pretty in depth, you know. So, and you uh, even tortured yourself with the uh, Paul Rogers Queen album that is better left uh, forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't even the Paul Rogers Queen album. It was the Adam Lambert one, um, which was fucking agonizing to listen to. Um, <laughs> this, but, I didn't know that he did one. Yeah, I, me uh, either. Wait, I've seen him live with Queen and he was great. They've but, actually recorded yeah. new music. No, no, no new oh. music. Thank oh. fuck. Thank I was going to say that. That's. I feel like I would have heard about that. No, it's just a live album. They released it last year. Um, it's fucking shit, man. Uh, <laughs> terrible. You need to just leave the classics alone sometimes, mm. man. Yeah, Queen died with Freddie. Because I haven't heard of this. So walk me through this. What was so egregious about this live album? <sighs> uh, where do you start? Um, well, most people would probably think it would be all on you know, all Adam Lambert, you know, we were negative towards him and it wasn't. The actual performance was totally phoned in throughout throughout the entire show, you know. Oh, they, really? They just sound they just sound like old men. They 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 have lost all the fire and and they're playing well. Oh, that's you know sad. if you listen to Queen in the seventies, I mean the, the, nobody could touch them live. Do you know what I mean? They were amazing. They were, I mean and Freddie Mercury was one of the best vocalists, but in my opinion, their best vocalist in rock. Um but yeah it was just Sounds like old men, you know, cop, copping out on like guitar solos and stuff like that, you know, not doing the guitar solos properly, stuff like that. And then obviously you have what we consider a karaoke singer and, you know, singing, singing amazing songs, Queen songs, and then doing them very badly, in my opinion. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Damn, son, that is, that, is a, that is a hell of an indictment. And I'll make sure to avoid that one. I think if you Same listen, here. if you're if you're not an avid Queen fan like me and the other two guys and that do my podcast, then you probably enjoy it. But if you're, it, 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 for example, it would be like somebody, you know, some guy coming into Judas Priest who wasn't Ripper Owens, who just wasn't the right fit for Priest, and then casual Priest fans go, "No, that guy's really good." But guys like you and me who are proper priest fans are like that's fucking shit it's not this do you know what i mean it's not the same yeah. thing. enough to the music that we can tell yeah. the difference yeah exactly okay exactly. oh man that makes it's gonna be sad sense. in a few years when rob halford gets replaced by adam lambert and <laughs> <laughs> lambert's not gonna pull that off either as he as he fuck i mean but that's the thing the guy isn't a bad singer i'm talking about adam lambert here by the way not, not rob halford yeah yeah of um, course um he's not a bad singer he's just not the right singer for Queen and nobody has, in my opinion, you know, it's for me, it's like Priest. As much as I did like Ripper and I saw them with Ripper, um, it, it wasn't Rob, and you know, it just it didn't have the, it, it just wasn't the old the original right, thing, right. you know. And you can totally tell, you know, yeah, it's an imitation, you know, it's like it's like an imitation, you know. Well, you know, it's like also in terms of like raw charisma that. Halford exudes when exactly. he's on stage, man. Though those are some big shoes to fill. I wanted yeah. to go there because I think that's what they really were looking for when they picked Adam Lambert for Queen. They wanted someone with the real flamboyance and the real stage presence and dancing. And you're not going to get any of that coming across on the live album. Like it's 
it's something that you're only going to get if you're watching it. Exactly, exactly. But also, um, I think the thing is, people, you know, talk about Freddie Mercury like he was very, very, you know, camp on stage and stuff like that. And he wasn't. <laughs> but who watched <laughs> Freddie? Was, that? But that's a but that's a thing, you know. People will say, "Oh, they got Adam Lambert because he was so flamboyant." Freddie, I mean, okay, in the seventies he was, but then again, priests were flamboyant in the seventies. Do you know what I mean? Everybody yeah. was flamboyant in the seventies. But like, the time of, the music video for "Living After Midnight." Exactly, exactly. It's fucking insane. But yeah. but the point is, it's like put Freddie Mercury next to Adam Lambert and, uh, you know, Freddie's up there, you know, in jeans and a vest and Adam Lambert's dressed like fucking Liberace's nightmare. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it's, 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 to- it's a totally different thing. <laughs> it's like a flanderization. It's like just yeah. taking his, the qualities of Freddie Mercury and almost being like a parody Cal- of it. Or it's, a- like a, it's like an extreme, extreme, extreme cartoon version of, not necessarily what Freddie even looked like, but what he supposedly represented. So, um, but yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> I want to see this now. Yeah, I don't, because I, I don't even I'm know. I'm keeping what, this um, in because this is a real interesting yeah. conversation. Because I don't know what Adam Lambert looks like. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I like your reaction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Like, because I'm seeing a picture where he's on stage with like, um, looks like a leopard print suit and a crown. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The you crown know. is kind of um, what what, what word would you use to describe that? I mean, Freddie wore a crown at some point. Did he? No. Okay. So that o- might o- be o- only o- only one on time the very, on the very last tour that Queen ever did, which was called the Magic Tour. <laughs> he wore it. At, he wore it at the very end song. He didn't even sit, wear it while singing. He put it on while the song was ending. Ah, uh, okay. So I was going like to say because that seems yeah. like presumptuous almost to be like, "Yo, I'm the fucking king." Yeah, nah. It's just, it's just cabaret, man. It's like, it's like Vegas. It's like if Queen were a Vegas band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I they, get it. Like they have their residency saying. at like um the fucking Mohegan Sun in Las Vegas. Yeah, they did actually have a, re- a residency, yeah. No shit. <laughs> no, they, they did, yeah. They totally. did. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I learned something new today. Yeah, a, a horrifying fact.
Speaking of things that are horrifying, let's talk about the subject of today's episode, which is rapid fire, because it covers some what you might describe as apocalyptic themes of destruction that is second to none. So let's dive right into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As we are wont to do on the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Guys, this song comes in with a fucking bang right off the bat. Yeah. You just get hit in the face immediately with this insane upbeat tempo. And Rapid Fire is a, it's not had nothing to do with the song, but Rapid Fire is referencing to how relentlessly fast the song is. Yep, absolutely. The, the title fits the, the music. <laughs> At the time, they're pro- this was pro- people were probably like, holy shit, they're playing fast. Yeah, this is before Metallica or Slayer. So yeah. It was very fast for the time. Yeah, this is before Thrash, man. 1980. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, this, this, dare I say, like a um, precursor to speed metal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially imagine being a kid in 1980 or a teenager and buying British steel and you come home and put it on and this is what you get hit with. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you come home, you see that iconic album cover and, you know, you pop that bad boy into your record player. You better fucking hope that there's something good on the other end of that speaker. (laughs) Well, that's true. You didn't know what it sounded like until you played it. You couldn't hear it or preview it on the Internet. Yeah, that wasn't really a thing then, was it? It wasn't like the I don't, I don't know I don't know if you could go into record stores and sample stuff at any point. Well, I, well, I can speak about that because I'm an old bastard. So I bought British Steel probably in 1992, somewhere around about then, 92, 93, somewhere. So there was no Spotify, there was no internet at that time. So yeah, you basically uh, you you bought the record on the faith that. The album cover looked cool, or you maybe heard a single beforehand. Mm. But yeah, this this is the best for me. This is the best song on British Steel mm. for me personally. Yeah, it's the most Judas Priest song on it, anyway. Yeah, it is probably the heaviest song on the album. Definitely one of them, at least. So take us back to '92 or whichever year it was when you first started getting into Priest. What did you think at the time? Well, it was kind of strange because I was into thrash metal before I got into Judas Priest, which probably sounds kind of strange because it's kind of back to front because most people, you know, go on that on the journey of getting heavier and heavier, whereas I went the <laughs> other way. 
And well, it kind but, of makes sense if you think about what year it was. I mean, 1992, who was the biggest band in metal? Metallica, Metallica right? Metallica. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I, the first time I really remember hearing Priest was um, David, who does the Lap and the Lap of the Pods podcast with me. Um, we got a sampler CD. This was back then when um, record companies, I don't know why this was the case, but there was a sampler CD and it had, I think it had 12 songs on it and it ranged from Priest's career, starting from their first album right up until I think it was Painkiller. So it was all that stuff. And um, yeah, and that was the first time me and David really, get, you know, we got this sampler CD and we were like, fucking this, this is the shit. Do you know what I mean? This is and obviously Rob Halford's voice was for me was the the thing that basically clinched the deal. You know, it was like when I heard that fucking voice, I was just like, this this guy's the man. And then shortly after that, I, bu- I bought Painkiller because Painkiller had only been out around about a year. And then I bought British Steel, so I kind of went a little bit forward <laughs> and then went back. But yeah, but British Steel when I first bought that. Uh, it's a great album. I, I do. I'll be honest. I do think there's some stuff on it that's a little bit, eh, you know. But but the the good songs on it are absolutely fucking excellent. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the good songs are legendary. But yeah, um, I, I can understand that you might think there's some stuff that's like, eh, take it or leave it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like United, for example. You know, I I, I don't I don't dislike it, but I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I really don't care for that song all that much. No, I mean either. No. Yeah, I don't know I if it was that. David or Paul I was talking to. I think it was Paul, and United was one of the songs that he said that he would want to talk about. So uh, nah, maybe you all will idiot. have a little disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he, he's, a, he's a fucking idiot. It's probably yeah. fucking idiot. Oh, boy. <laughs> <Get the role laughs> of, here's that, Joe. The role of the bus drivers being you, played you by You probably tell it to his face. I call him, we call it, in Scotland, that's how we roll, man. We just insult each other. That's cool. That's just how we how we go about our business. Yeah, that's, that's fucking rad. <laughs> Makes me think of that Simpsons clip. They're natural enemies, like Scots and other Scots. <laughs> he exactly. sure are contentious people. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So Tom, what do you think of those lyrics? Pounding the world like a battering ram, forging the furnace for the final grand slam, chopping away at the source. Soon the course will be done, leaving a trail of destruction that's second to none. I was alluding to this in the, um, when we first started is that these are very like apocalyptic sort of, you know, heavy hitting lyrics over a song that is, Oh my God, I almost said rapid fire. But I got to be honest, at this present moment, I don't really know how I feel about the lyrics just yet. I think that these lyrics, they're a little tricky to interpret. These are kind of vague, like definitely more vague than Dissident Aggressor, which was last week's episode. And we knew exactly what they were talking about here. It's kind of like, well, this could be anything, but there's definitely some sort of energetic revolutionary feel to this one as well just the fact that there's all this language of these strong actions like pounding the world and mm, yeah. chopping away leaving yeah. a trail of destruction wielding so what, whatever's the going on in this song it's like priest is saying we're coming to take over we're yeah. coming to fuck your shit up i'm definitely picking up on what seems to be I don't know. It reminds me of Pleasure to Kill by Creator. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that entire album describes some pretty graphic violence and destruction throughout. 
And it is really sort of nihilistic, almost dance approach. I could maybe see how this album could have been an influence for people like Mile Petroza. Just everything about this song from its tempo to its structure to its lyrical content. I don't know. I can kind of see echoes of that when I think about an album like Pleasure to Kill, where, I mean, it's not really, I don't know if there's anything really profound going on there lyrically, but it is painting a really graphic picture. What do you think about that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think Priest were probably, you know, like you were saying there, I think, you know, metal after this was all about, you know, the most extreme, everything was, you know, smashing, tearing, you know, Slayer, for example, you know, like Rain and Blood, you know, everything's as aggressive as it can be politically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Priest were most definitely the, probably the precursor to that type of writing, you know, because I think before metal bands weren't really writing about that kind of thing. And obviously Priest had a more more speed and definitely more attack. So I think they obviously thought, you know, writing about fucking puppies isn't really going <laughs> to really tie in with the way this song sounds musically. So I think it's probably been an actual evolution where they've they've looked at how aggressive the song is and they've tried to match it with, you know, with lyrics and stuff mm. like that. But yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't can't think of any other band before Priest that were, you know, doing these type of lyrics, you know, about, you know, smashing and tearing and burning. But I mean, they continued that throughout their entire career, right up until Painkiller. When, mm. um, right. you know, all the lyrics were about fucking things melting and fucking things exploding. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you know otherwise I mean? melting down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Definitely the, 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 the Godfathers of that, that type of lyrical approach. Yeah, to me, it sort of seems like a natural extension of what ACDC was doing. And in the late 70s, Priest toured with ACDC when Bon Scott was still alive. And they probably (laughs) took a lot of influence from that. Priest, if you'll remember, in the early days on albums like Stained Class and Sad Wings, their songs were longer. They were more complex. And with British Steel, they're going for a little more of a stripped down approach and I think that touring with ACDC might have had something to do with that. They're like, hey, listen, these songs are direct. They're easy for the audience to connect with. Yeah. And the whole smashing and chopping lyrics. To me, that kind of feels like an extension of the all the songs ACDC would do, where it's like, invite us to your town. We'll party and we'll rock your fucking face off. agree yeah definitely and the ACDC are the masters of writing really really short anthemic songs and obviously round about this point in Priest's career they shortened they started to really shorten the length of their songs and get to the more anthemic choruses and stuff like that so you're probably right yeah and Rapid Fire is only like a flat four minutes long 
but it manages to be a really fast-paced rocker within that amount of time. Oh, so definitely. KK Downing said in an um, interview with Billboard magazine, quote, it's unusual in the way it starts in that it kind of gets going pretty fast. Traditionally, Priest was into a big intro, but this was straight ahead, let's go, which was really unique for Priest. He added... The song structure is quite unusual, really. It goes to the C twice, then goes down to G. I'm like, why did we do that? What were we thinking? Even I don't know to this day, unquote. So even, I don't even know if they necessarily knew what they were onto. They just kind of did it and it felt right. Because it really isn't a lot like anything they were doing beforehand british steel i think was the first album where they really wanted to hone in on like well we're a metal band now you know Mm -hmm. we're like completely ditching like the pretext of like being a rock and roll band i think british steel is like when they first fully embraced that concept of oh this is what priest is about this is what we've been building towards this is what we want to be and most importantly this is metal Yes. Even the album cover, British Steel, it says that to you. Like, it's a big razor blade right there in your face. Yeah. And it says steel. Like, okay, metal, steel. All right. Like, this is a metal album through and through. Yeah. I mean, because at this point, 1980, I don't think the term heavy metal was really getting used that much, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And Priest obviously defined that and defined the look. Of heavy metal, you know, and and the and the sound. I've basically, Judas Priest were heavy metal. Do you know what I mean? They were the first real heavy metal band. Well, you know, people say Sabbath, but Sabbath were, a, were, were way before that. You know, they were blues more. Came for the blues, and there was jazz and stuff like that in Sabbath. Although they were extremely heavy. But if you're talking about a metallic sound, you know, and even going back to the the subject matters, you know, everything's extreme. It's you know bursting through smashing things you know it has a very aggressive lyrical approach as well do you know what i mean so they were the full package it's really funny that you bring up tony iomi as a matter of fact because to hear him tell it the first time he heard the term heavy metal he had no idea what the (laughs) other person was referring to yeah that that was that that kind of took him aback he's like wait what are you talking about what's heavy metal i guess they didn't really think about it at the time no one was really thinking in terms of like defining the genre. They were playing heavy music and they yeah. just knew that they were exploring something that was tantalizing and dark and intriguing. And they really wanted to delve into that. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Tony in an interview talking about they always referred to Sabbath's, Sabbath's music as hard rock. That was what it was called back then. You know, you had rock and then you had hard rock. And then obviously, um, the whole term heavy metal came about. But for me, Judas Priest are heavy metal. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I they were the first to embrace the term metal. Yeah. They yes, said I, we are metal. Yeah. yeah. And totally. arguably they invented the aesthetic too. Oh, they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there's a little bit of a debate there. I can kind of bring the Queen comparison in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a, I don't know if you two guys are aware of this, but um, but back in the late 70s, Rob Halford and Freddie Mercury were both wearing biker caps with a leather 
jacket, you know, the it's biker. Like look. something Freddie would wear, sure. Well, if you look, if you look <laughs> it up, if you, if you go onto Google, you'll see pictures of Freddie. Just put in Freddie Mercury, 1979, and you'll see pictures of him with a leather on. And uh, Rob Halford actually um, asked Freddie, like, challenged Freddie to a, a motorcycle race around Grand Hatch, which is a famous racetrack in, in, Not a in the UK. Race, a no, a, a motorcycle race. <laughs> that is so, so friggin' cool. So it was a case of who, who dressed, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg. But yeah. Priest, obviously, the entire band adopted that look. You know, right, Queen, right. It, was just, it was just Freddie Mercury for really just one tour uh, yeah. in the late 70s. But obviously Priest took, you know, the, the entire band took it as an aesthetic. And yeah, and absolutely, they, they invented that look, definitely. Yeah, it's funny too, because, oh, by the way, I just wanted to show you guys, the audience can't see, but um, definitely take Joe's suggestion. Look up Freddie Mercury in 1979, because you'll see this. That is cool. Yeah, it's so fucking badass, man. Oh, yeah, I'm getting a picture of that up on our uh, Twitter. Absolutely. But, you know, anyone who knows their priest history knows that, you know, Rob was big into the um snm bondage scene when he was a younger man probably still is today but i can't i can't say that without any certainty but the whole leather and the whips and the studs came from what were very explicitly snm shops I totally agree <laughs> yeah and, and like in an interview rob halford's like yeah my favorite place is uh mr s's leather and I don't remember where it was. It was like, that's where he goes to get all of his jackets and his pants. And so awesome. Yep. He's a metal god. Yes, he certainly <laughs> is. We, we're inclined to agree. According to the song right after this one. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That's a song I want to revisit at some point because uh, I got more. I, I have more insight on it. Now. There, I have more to say, too. But hey, uh, we'll get yeah, there. Yeah, one we want to play a little more rapid fire. Mm, absolutely. When it comes back in with that little guitar lick there, it is so freaking cool. Yeah, and then uh, Dave Holland actually has one of his better drum fills, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, pretty basic, but that's not to say that it sounds bad. You know, sometimes no, there is brilliance in simplicity, as they say. Yeah, I, we've talked about this before, that Holland's uh, simplistic style allows um, the guitarist to really shine. He was the right fit for the songs they were making. We could probably say that. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, that guitar lick is just 
freaking awesome when it comes in there. It just, to me, it makes the song kick into like another higher gear. Yeah. Well, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I love that part. Yeah, it's like, it's an interesting segue into the next part, you know, because obviously the when it comes into the next part, it's full on double bass. Do you know what I mean? Like, and uh, and obviously Rob Halford's fucking quick fire vocal performance is amazing. Yeah, um, right. And Dave Holland actually didn't have the skill to play a double bass, but so he's playing a single bass drum, but it's really fast for having even, just one drum. One that's kick. even more impressive than if he did it in one bass drum because yeah, it's much more difficult. <laughs> yeah, one greed. Yeah, he actually was like uh, the one place where Holland really shines is his timing and his precision are like machine like, very um, tight, very very tight drummer. And that's um, you know, the, uh, like the man was not a bad drummer by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not a flashy drummer. Yeah, I don't think these songs require it. No, they really I don't. No, they, I mean for Priest, it's it's all about locking in. You know, locking in with the guitars and the drums. You know making a, a solid unit and yeah. I also think that priest were the first first band to really embrace that see where the kick drum and the guitar chugs um you know tucka, 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 really machine-like precision yeah um, they, they were definitely the they were one of the first that you know that, that, that did that you know I would I would think yeah like there's a lot of um 16th notes going on there very rapid like up and down picking like I am not educated enough to know if there were example, like too many examples of that happening before this, but I feel like they might've been innovators in that, in that regard. Well, I mean, listen, there's something to be said for being the first popular act to do it. I mean, yeah. maybe someone who's really knowledgeable about the underground could pull up a band we haven't heard of and say, well, these guys were doing it in 1977. And to us, it would be like, well, that's really cool and innovative, but we haven't heard of it. Motorhead had you know, syncopated double bass, you know, on their album Overkill, I think was the first album. The song Overkill, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but obviously that's got that. But the difference is between Motorhead and Priest, Priest locked in with the kick drum, with the with the guitar, and that's the big difference. So, you know, pre, uh, like Motorhead were basically playing kind of blues licks on the guitar, but the kick drums were... Whereas Priest really had that syncopated uh, chugging pattern. So I would, yeah. I would... I mean, there might be somebody that did it before them, but to my knowledge, uh, they were definitely the first that, that, that I'm aware of to do that, yeah. So those lyrics in that second verse, hammering anvils, screaming muscle and might, shattering blows, crashing browbeating fright, fast devastating and desolizing the curse, blasting the cannons of truth to each man of the earth. Uh, definitely continuing in the same themes and motifs of the whole powerful ass kicking sort of lyrics that were in the first verse. What I really wanted to point out is uh, desolizating, not a word, 
<laughs> yeah. Pick up his own words. That's okay. Get that's some Shakespearean awesome. in there. It, it's and listen. All words are made up, and that's just right? that's just that's just they are. Yeah, no, but, that's just innovating. <laughs> well then, uh, all right. Desolizing, great words. Yeah, yeah, great subject uh, matter too. Metal musicians inventing words. Anyone got uh, more thoughts, or should we get to the next part of the song? I actually do have thoughts on this. Go for it. So there's, I love the line, blasting the cannons of truth to each man of this earth. So if you really stop and think about this for a second, destruction is power in its most primal form. It's like it is the raw physical manifestation of change. And I love this line of blasting the cannons of truth, because if a mortar round or an artillery shell is about to level the building you live in, you can't really talk your way around that one. It's like, this is happening to you right now. This is the truth of the circumstance you find yourself in. And there's not really any room for you to run away from it or to try and pretend that that's not what's happening here. So getting back to that very visceral sort of like gut punching lyrical content of this song, I think it's perfectly encapsulated in just that one line. That's well said, Tom. Thank you. There you go. All right, and on to the next part. me that is the meaty part of the song that is like the part of the song where they really kick it in and start really rocking yeah you got those like beautiful trade-off guitar solos between downing and tipton that are just the hallmark of priest going forward absolutely yeah i agree and they are doing a legitimate trade-off when you watch the live videos it's KK first, then the second one's Gwen, yeah. then back to KK, then back to Gwen. And sometimes you hear songs and it's just one guy doing all the solos, but that one is a legitimate trade-off. And that I really like. The guys from the uh, Skinner podcast would probably tell you that on Freebird, the um, original solo on the album was all done by one person. And then live, they traded it amongst the three guitarists. Really? Yeah, I read that a long time ago because that's a lot that's a lot of guitar solo to carry by yourself. Yeah, holy shit, it is. 
Yeah, dude. Ten minutes. Hey, man, I, I've played Guitar Hero. I know what the deal is. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> These lyrics in the bridge. Wielding the axe comes the one culmination that's always seemed certain to bring down the curtain on... I don't know what this last word is that he sang. I'm opening the lyrics. Yeah, sifting the good from the bad. It's the age for the rage. I like that because the rage is nice. the song on Bridge Steel. Well, it's the age for the rage of the dogs, <laughs> which must fall to the just and be free. This is making me feel like it might be another sort of political revolutionary song because the rage of the dogs that and when you refer to someone as dog, you're sort of uh, kind of describing them as lower class. But then yeah, must fall like to the dust and be free. Yeah. So oh yeah, the way I interpreted the lyrics um was the dogs were the fans, as in they were like rabid. Like for me, that, that rapid fires about them and the relationship with their fans. I think well, that, that's how I I, I, I interpret it. You know, but it's, it's basically to me, it's painting a picture of priest coming in playing a show and totally fucking destroying the place and their fans are like dogs going crazy that that i might be wrong but that's how i kind of i kinda, think yeah. i can you totally could be right that you're making me think of hell patrol and hell patrol like they've been pretty explicit that's a song and leather, and leather rebel and leather they're calling rebel everyone well. devil dogs and yeah yeah heel warriors and whatnot yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. night riders was it um night riders death dealers storm breakers you know yeah, exactly. You know, all the things that we are. Absolutely. <laughs> I've never broken a storm, but uh, I guess I could. You I guess haven't? Judas Priest says I'm a storm breaker. Dude, you, you, just don't, you, you just don't believe in yourself. That's the problem. Have you, you been know ripping what? out hearts Fuck as well? But... <laughs> Next time it rains, I'm going to break a storm. I know you will. Go out and then there make sure you tear up the ground hand. afterwards. And rip out some hearts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, I so like, you know, we talked about this in our um, um, delivering the goods episode where, you know, it could be that this is like another in a long line of heavy mail songs about how much ass you kick when you play live, you know? Oh, as I, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I think it's about. <laughs> I don't think there's any real deep meaning. I think there's really cool metaphors in the song. Mm-hmm. You know I don't I mean? think you can ever like look into something too deeply. That's like my personal belief, even if just for the sake of like frivolity and having fun with it. Yeah, it should be open to interpretation. Yeah. Uh, And I think you and George have some pretty interesting interpretations of this song. But like, you know, the thing is, like, as we've gone on with this podcast, I've realized more and more about kind of how much you can really draw parallels between political struggle and Judas Priest songs. Because a lot yeah. of their struggles, a lot of the songs have to do with power struggle. Exactly. That's pretty in that's pretty inherent to um political discourse. All right, let's play out the end of this song. Please.
It ends with a bang. Yeah, and quite literally. The metal gods with the sound effects, but we don't have to go back to metal gods. Let's uh, we'll stick to rapid fire. But the yeah. end here, it's great, man. Yeah, dude. Listening to the end of that, there I was really kind of honing in on Holland's bass drum technique, and it really oh, yeah. is solid. It's tight, tight. Mm. Yep, yep. Really, really tight. And that was before the days of Pro Tools and stuff like that. You really had to to get it right, you know. Like, yeah, hey. man. Like working within his drumming style, he actually pulls that song off like pretty spectacularly. It's a very punk beat as well. Oh yeah, it's a it's like a punk, you know, like early hardcore punk. Mm. It's kind of got that vibe to it, you know, the you know, it's get kind of motorhead. So yeah. I mean, obviously, but bands like this, discharge and stuff like that, they had that same sort of beat. Sure. Well, you know, thrash metal, speed metal in particular, wouldn't exist without punk. Punk was like. That yeah. is the speed element of is, thrash yeah. metal. hundred percent, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically you know GBH and discharge and stuff like that, and minor threat mixed with Judas Priest <laughs> and Iron Maiden. That's that's then you get thrash metal, right? And punk was definitely uh, getting to be a big thing in the mid to late seventies in the UK. It was starting to yeah. blow up with some of those early punk bands, and I don't know if Judas Priest had a tremendous amount in common but they definitely were influenced at least a little bit because to some extent every artist is influenced by what's going on in their sphere even if it's like just a little bit indirectly like you kind of just see oh people like this people like that they're listening to these bands now what are they doing i think i think priest would have most definitely been influenced by the the energy of punk and the speed of punk you know Mm -hmm. Def 100%, you know, the same as Iron Maiden's first album, right? Steve Harris, Steve Harris, you know, when before they released the first Iron Maiden album, people were comparing them to punk bands. And obviously, Steve Harris was like, I don't even listen to punk, but he clearly subconsciously was influenced by it in the sense of maybe the speed. And you know, because punk basically was a lot faster than metal at the That's time, exactly right, man. And like, even though you might not have been listening to punk some of that seeped into energy. your brain. The energy of it, the speed of it. Yeah, definitely. I always find it fascinating, you know, hearing James Tetfield tell stories about how Metallica was first kind of making their way into the scene. You know, they'd get chased out of clubs for being punks. Like, fuck out of here, you goddamn punks. Yeah. You know, like they people thought, you know, Metal clubs thought they were a punk band and punk clubs thought they were a metal band and yep. no one could really make heads or tails of it at the time. Absolutely. I mean, Kill Em All's fucking excellent, you know? So, yeah. I mean, and, and totally groundbreaking. I mean, they basically, that's an, for me, that's a proper extension of this kind of Judas Priest song like Rapid Fire. It's, yeah. ta- it's taken that step further in Metallica, but obviously, but obviously Metallica... At that point, we're listening to a lot of like British punk bands, you know, and American punk bands as well. And that that's where the speed came from, definitely. Oh, for sure. And Metallica has actually covered Rapid Fire before. With They've had Rob, Rob Alford yeah. join them on stage for a couple of those. And mm-hmm. when you hear Rapid Fire with the riff at the beginning, and you fast forward three years to the debut Metallica album, Kill Em All, yeah. you listen to Whiplash, it goes, and it's like, yep, you know, same you can hear machine that similarity. Gun. You can hear that direct line. Absolutely. It's the machine gun locking into the drums. That That's 
for me, that's the defining thing of heavy metal. It's that syncopated, whether it's that speed or it's it's really, really fast. Everything's locked in. Mm. And yeah, definitely Priest were the, were the first band to do it. And obviously Metallica took it that step further. Uh, getting back yeah, to Rapid definitely. Fire. So for how great of a song this is, Rapid Fire wasn't played live a ton. Setlist.fm only has like literally one recorded instance of Rapid Fire being played in like the classic 80s era in 1981. That's crazy, right? But then there's the Tim Owens rendition in 1998, and we'll get to that later. Then later, Judas Priest brought the song back when they played British Steel in full on the 30th anniversary, kept it in the set in 2011 and 12, because I guess they liked it. Uh, those are all uh, on DVDs, which is what we had before YouTube kids. Now you can see them on YouTube. Ask your parents what a DVD or a- <laughs> Or your grandparents, depending on when you're <laughs> this episode. And then finally, Judas Priest brought Rapid Fire back one more time for the Download Festival in Chiba, Japan, 2019. <laughs> and that's the Firepower Tour where they played 44 different songs at least once. And we probably won't stop bringing that up until we finish talking about all those songs. Yeah. Uh, so not a huge history, but there are definitely like some recorded performances throughout the history of the band. And the Tim Owens one in 1998 is definitely worth bringing up because they added a chorus before and after the bridge section with new vocal lines. And they sound pretty damn good. I was listening to that earlier today. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they were pretty cool, but a lot of purists, I could imagine, might not be into this. Like, oh, why'd they have to change it? It was good just the way it is. Well, let's play a clip of it, and you can decide for yourself how you feel about it. doing there honestly i think you know like adding a little bit of flair to a song it's like it's not like you're tacking on an additional four minutes of song yeah what do you think about that joe i mean i could get why you know like judas priest purists wouldn't like it i can totally get that you know but i mean it's a good version i i actually own this i bought this album when it came out the meltdown live album and it's, it's a it's an excellent live album and tim's you know sounds great on all of it 
The only thing that I would say is the the middle section, the obviously Tim sings it in the in the much higher register. Much higher. Yeah. And it does sound good, but I, I do prefer the way Rob sings it. I think it's got more aggression the way Rob sings it. But I mean, well, other than that, crashier with Rob, right? The whole, yeah, it's it doesn't have to be high because the lower vocals are delivered a little more ex- rally aggressively. Yeah, that, and they're very punctuated. That was what I was going to say as well. You know, the difference between this version and the recorded version with Halford is Halford really spits those words out, like corrosive and bite. He really, really forces those words out. He really pronounces all the words with a lot of, a lot of anger. I think Whereas, the punk influence is yeah, there as well. Yeah, yeah, but when Tim does it, does it? I mean, it is good. It's high, and you know, it's impressive and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it lo- it loses a bit of the intensity for me of the of what what's actually being sang in the words. I kind of felt like that, but you put it into words a lot better than I think I could have. So thank you for that, Joe. And yeah, very well uh, articulated. It's a little less aggressive. I agree, but it is cool in its own way. And it's cool. Yeah. And it made it his own in that respect. Exactly. And you don't want to hear the same exact song. You know, it's nice to put a little on it. Yeah, like Owen's putting his own spin on it and, you know, incorporating like some additional lyrics and adding a different style to the cadence of the song is really charming and he pulls it off well. And there's nothing like egregious going on here. You know, it's not just completely jarring out of left field. It's, It's organic. It feels like almost like a natural extension. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's... What if he had a, if he had tried to do that high part and really didn't nail it? It would have been it would have sucked. Yeah. But because big because he is an extremely good singer and it, especially in the high register, he pulls it off really really well. So I don't I don't have a problem with it. Mm. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's pretty good. It I used to listen to it a lot as a teenager because I liked yeah, the heaviness. And then a few years later. They had to go and just fuck it all up by re-recording it in the studio as a bonus track for demolition. That sucks, man. And this version is ass. Like, 
they <laughs> they weave in they weave in the extra chorus, but then they strip away some of the lines so that it's just Tim singing "Rapid Fire, Rapid Fire" like it's a fucking Shit. Iron Maiden song and, from 2018. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Why do our guests keep bringing that up? <laughs> because Iron Maiden have been shit for about 20 years, man. Uh, ooh, <laughs> shit. Damn, we're going to have to flag this episode like content warning. Trigger warning for the Iron Maiden. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I totally forget I'm not in my own podcast. Oh, we don't uh, oh, give off. Don't worry. <laughs> you're you're here to give rip. your honest opinion. And, yeah. Uh, Listen, man, I'm. I'm Iron Maiden and Queen are Iron Maiden, Queen, Slayer, and Pink Floyd are my three favorite bands, right? I know that's a bizarre mix of music, right? So I love Iron Maiden. I love everything that Iron Maiden did up till from the first album right up till No Prayer for the Dying. Mm-hmm. I love all that shit. And then see after that, it's like, and then eventually mm-hmm. after Brave New World, it goes like Brave New World's is a good record, but after that, for me, not interested mm-hmm. at all after that. I think me and the me and Jonathan from Maiden Eighties E we speak quite a lot on on chat, mm-hmm. and um, we have a lot of we have a lot of fun talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think John, I've seen Jonathan's your name pop fucking... up in his uh, in the Facebook group for Jonathan's show. I'm in that too. Yeah. Jonathan's a good guy, man. So is yeah. Eric. Eric's a really yeah. nice guy as well. Jo- Jonathan did one with him last coolest. week. Yeah, yeah. Cool man. Okay, and there's one last version of Rapid Fire that I want to play a clip of, and this is 2012. So it's Rob Halford, obviously reunited with the band, but uh, not KK Downing. It's the Epitaph tour with Richie (laughs) Faulkner on guitar filling in. And what I like about this version is it feels like they're playing it a little slower. And even Uh, though... Even yep. though we're complimenting the speed of the song so much, when it's a little bit slowed down, it comes across like heavier and doomier, closer to that yeah. side. And it's, I wouldn't call it the definitive version by any means, but it's an interesting reinterpretation. So I'm going to throw in mm-hmm. just a short clip of this. Yeah, so the guitar riff there, it kind of feels like it goes slower. It's like, yeah, it's slowed Mm. down by like maybe five or 10 BPM. Like, definitely, yeah, enough to notice, but like not enough to take away the energy. Yeah, I know, yeah, totally. I noticed that. And with the guitars having a drop, it's definitely sounding heavier. And yeah. also, you know, this was um, a few years after uh, Tipton had been diagnosed with Parkinson's, so they right. probably had to slow it down to compensate, yeah. but they didn't have to do it by much. No, not much, no. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, between the Parkinson's, obviously, 
and Rob being older because it's quite a there's a lot of singing with not a lot of time for breath. Right. Yeah. So you know, if slowing it down will make it easier on Rob to you know. Yeah. Words out. Like you know, think about like this is a pretty lyric heavy song. It reminds me of a song like uh, "Jesus Saves." Oh, so imagine being able to like fire off those lyrics yeah. at like three hundred words a minute or whatever ne- the hell ne- Tom ne- Riot. Necrophobic as well. Yeah, just like like as fast as you can possibly get them out of your mouth. Machine gun. Yeah. yeah. Tom Araya's the best metal rapper. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah! Wow, he that's is. great. Oh, that's fantastic! I never heard that. <laughs> well, I might steal that quote. Oh, don't worry, I'll give you credit. You can have it. Man, it's cool. <laughs> I, I prefer the term appropriation myself. Oh, I dig <laughs> it. Okay, so Joe, here's a little fun game we've played with a couple other uh, deep dive crossover episodes we did. If Judas Priest and Queen did like a little EP together where they covered each other's songs like punk bands used to do back in the day. Yep. Can you think of what you might want to hear queen play of a judas priest song or the other way around right well i've been thinking about this because i wanted to take the two bands what i think you know makes them them you know what i mean so i would have queen cover painkiller just because it's so intense and i would like to see what their interpretation is of that song and i'd like to see if queen could push themselves to do that you know and I would also like to, I'd like to see Judas Priest cover Somebody to Love by Queen because it's a completely nuanced song with vocal harmonies and, you know, and it's got a gospel feel, it's got a gospel rock feel. So that would be really, really hard for Priest to do. And Painkiller would be really fucking hard for Queen to do. So yeah. I'm trying to think of an interesting, because initially I thought I would have Priest do a, a heavier Queen song, but what's the point in that? That wouldn't be interesting. So I thought it would mix it up a little bit. Damn, I love that. That's fantastic. That could definitely work. And Queen is probably an influence for Priest. They must oh, be, well, right? Well, no, well, oh, hell yeah. Well, Fred, um, well, um, Rob Halford in his book, constantly talks about Queen and how they were a massive influence on them. Right, you're right. And yeah, in fact, right. uh, we saw the band live last week or a couple weeks ago when they toured the US and their walk-off stage music now is We Are the Champions. Yeah, yep. yep. Who's going to yeah, tell I, them they're wrong? Not me. But the, well, in the book, Rob Halford does say that the song United <laughs> that we spoke about earlier on and that, yeah. that I'm not really a big fan of, he used We Are the Champions as a template for that song because it was a song that he, We Are The Champions is a song that really includes yeah, the entire yeah. crowd and he tried to write that yeah. um, you know, do his version of it which was United, which isn't really That's so funny you say that because that, that definitely feels like a uh, like a stadium rock song, yeah. more so than anything else on British Steel. It's yeah. like, you know, it's the kind of um, song where everyone's like you know, clapping along with it and everyone's singing the the chorus. Like, I I, I absolutely see the Queen influence there. Oh, I, I have something to add. Said that, yeah. yeah, I have something to add to that. Like, the album right before this, Killing Machine, or Hellbent for Leather, as we call it, that had the song Take on the World, and that was pretty deliberately trying Very to queen. be uh, We Will Very Rock You. Queen. And I'm not crazy about that song. It just kind of seems like priests shouldn't try to do Queen. They should try to be themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, priests are, for me, personally, 
if you were if aliens were to come down to planet Earth and say what is heavy metal, I would hand them Painkiller the album and say that is heavy. That is yeah. everything that's heavy metal. It look the look of it, the sound of it, the production, the subject matter. It's for me that encapsulates it encapsulates heavy metal in its entirety. There's nothing more heavy metal than Painkiller. Oh, so a, agreed. Um, it's the ultimate heavy metal album. You know. 100%. And, and for, in my opinion, it's the best Judas Priest album. I know that will probably offend a lot of the old fans, but for me, that, that album's fucking flawless, man. man. There's, there's nothing wrong with that album at all. Man, purists are fucking nerds. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I yeah. mean, that's it. I mean, you like we, the, the, way, the way we you look like at it, you like. like what you like. It's mm. as simple as that. You know, who, who yeah. are we to tell somebody else that they shouldn't like? It's the same as the Adam Lambert thing. I'm not going to get into a big argument with somebody because they like Adam Lambert. If that's, yeah. thing, that's cool, man. Do your thing. But for me personally, it's not for me. So I just choose not to listen to it. Yeah, and that's exactly. It but you're, you're, you're obviously not going to be like me and disparage other people. Over no, not at all. Not unless nah, you ask me what I think nah. of it, then I'll tell them what I think of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm only and, kidding. I just I joke around sometimes. Nah, totally, man. Yeah. And listen, when you have a band like Queen and Judas Priest, where their albums sound so different from each other, there's like really no reason anyone should be telling you, no, this is the best album, because there's not even such a case. It's like, what's the album that sounds closest to what you like? Yeah. Because they don't sound all the same. All right, my dudes. Do we have any closing thoughts to wrap up Rapid Fire and British Steel as a whole? Um, well... Like I think I said at the start of the podcast, British Steel is a, is a really, really good album. There is a couple of songs that I'm not too keen on, but as a, I mean, it's a classic. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 got Metal Gods, Rapid Fire, My Dogs Barking, Breaking the Law, <laughs> uh, Breaking the Law. You know, Living After Midnight, Living After Midnight. It's got some. It's got some absolute classics that they still you know play to this day. So that speaks volumes for how good some of these songs are. Yeah, yeah. even beyond those big three songs, you've got. More sick tracks with good riffs, grinder, stealer. Grinder. There's a of lot of Grinder's there. amazing. Grinder's one of the best songs on it. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Yeah. So overall, great album. I think you made a great choice picking Rapid Fire to cover with us as the starting track on the US version of the album. They moved it to number two and put Breaking the Law first, which I think is a travesty. That's weird. Was- that that doesn't work. The album opens yeah. a lot better with Rapid Fire. Quick note, I was looking at the uh, numbers on Spotify for most played song on that album. It bothers me so much that Breaking the Law is like the most popular song on that album by like an like orders of magnitude. And we're talking by like, like 160 million. <laughs> yeah, like more than all the other songs combined. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? But that but that's that's simply because it's just a big hit. I mean, it's the same as, you know, how many Queen, TV commercials Queen, has it been in? Uh, yeah. I'll use Queen for an example. You know, I mean, as much as I love Bohemian Rhapsody, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a classic yeah. song. You know, there's about there's the, 200 the, other Queen songs that I like more than it, but obviously haven't got a fraction of the, the amount of plays. The thing is, is that that's not by, like, by any imagination the best song on the album, though. No, I, not at all. I I mean, know, and and Bohemian Rhapsody isn't the best song on a night at the opera either. Do you know what I mean? For yeah. me anyway. So the, I totally agree with you. It's, but that's just a popular song. So people want to listen to that one. Yeah, fair enough. What's the other like uh, really epic eight, nine minute song on Night at the Opera? Uh, yeah, the Prophet song. 
the prophet song that song is fucking fucking sick and no one talks about it heavy as fuck yeah that's proper heavy yeah i want to listen to bohemian rhapsody like okay fine but that's again that's That's a karaoke song casual that's casual queen fans that's not real queen fans yeah 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 my wife actually turned me on to a uh a ton of good queen music when we started dating so i got her to thank for that See the first, basically all all the 70s material, you can't go wrong with it, man. Sure. And and as well, you know, one of the reasons we started our podcast was, you know, we're all metalheads, obviously. The three guys in my podcast are all, you know, like you guys were properly into metal and stuff like that. And we I was always pissed off that Queen were always left out of the the conversation when it came to the evolution of heavy metal. Because if you go go and listen to any of our early Queen album podcasts. Queen invented thrash fucking metal. I'm sorry, they they, they did. Um, Stone Cold Crazy. Yeah, sure. I was about to That's say, thr- go back and listen to Sheer Heart yeah, Attack. There's a lot of yeah, exactly on there. It's thrash metal. It's fast guitar picking. You know, it's speed the speed of it. Do you know what I mean? So Queen don't yeah. get the rec- they, they really don't get the recognition they deserve for how they basically paved the way for bands like Judas Priest as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Definitely. I mean we've been saying it here today, just like. There wouldn't be a priest without Queen. It's pretty much burned be. by Halford himself in his book. Absolutely, absolutely, man, definitely. And it wouldn't be. I probably wouldn't be a Metallica. Wouldn't sound the way they did if it wasn't for Queen as well, because all the all the guitar harmonies that Metallica use are very Queen. That's right. And Metallica and Hetfield and Hetfield said as much. You know, Hetfield said that he was very influenced by Queen and Brian May's guitar harmonies. So yeah. you know, it's really cool. funny. Like when you first like hone in on something like a really obvious influence in a band like the band themselves will be the first ones to say oh yeah totally man like that song was directly inspired yeah. by queen absolutely oh totally totally 100 yeah like i write yeah. i wrote a song recently that is obviously heavily inspired by gojira and like if i played it and you heard it you'd be like oh yeah that's a, there's a, some serious gojira influence in there cool what's the name of your band i don't have one i just, right. I, I i i um i dabble just writing home. stuff yeah, I, just, I write stuff at home. My my band's actually finishing recording that album. Um, Fantastic. Very yeah. cool. I yeah. r- was playing in a band years ago that I recorded an album with. That was one of the best experiences of my life was recording but, that album. This is our fifth album because we've been a... We were signed to Relapse, you know, Relapse Records. Yeah. yeah, we were signed to them. So, yeah, we've, we've wow. been a... What's the name we've of been your about, Man Must Die. Love it. I'm going to have to... Wait... You're in Man Must Die? They had yeah. an album in 2009 or 10, which was so fucking heavy. And yeah, I think it had a cover no, no, of like a guy clutching his face. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's a good I, album. I'm, I'm, I'm the singer. <laughs> wow, shit. How about that, George? What an amazing coincidence. Yeah. I'm <laughs> throwing in a clip of one of your songs from that album that yeah. I like. Oh, cool, man. Or maybe even like one of your newer ones, if you'd like me to. Well, the album's not out yet, man. We're still mixing it at the moment, but yeah, but yeah, fire in a clip, yeah, no problem, yeah. All right, yeah, well, that's a cool coincidence.
Oh, very cool. Okay, so I've got a question for the listeners. I think I'm having a case of Mandela effect because I could swear that I heard rapid fire in a video game when I was like 11 or 12. And I I felt like it was Tony Hawk's pro skater, but I searched the internet and I did a lot of Googling and I could not find a game where rapid fire was on the soundtrack, but I really feel like I heard it in a game. So I think I'm having Mandela effect here. So listeners, if you can think of any video game that Rapid Fire was in, please write us on Twitter or email and let us know. Yo, you know what uh, Mandela effect really fucks me up? You know, um, Fruit of the Loom, you know, the underwear? Uh Do you know their logo never had the cornucopia in it? What? Dude, I'm telling you, did that just like completely blow your mind? Their logo never had the cornucopia. But that's like the one thing that I remember about them. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, look it, up, look it up. Like there's, it's not there. And I could have sworn right. that it was there. I, I believe you. What? Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it definitely uh, will change your life. Yield. Joe, you want to plug your pluggables, dude? Yeah, I mean, if you like Queen, then head over to In the Lap of the Pods, where you'll hear me and two of my good friends talk shit about Queen in a good way and a bad way. <laughs> like you <laughs> said, man, you get the truth. Yeah. You, when the good you stuff the is good and podcast. the bad stuff is bad, you are up front. You have to be, man. I think, you know, if you're a true fan, you, you can't you can't like everything. Do you know what I mean? You're lying to yourself. Yeah. I mean, right. You'll go on the Metallica forums and people will say, Metallica has never made a bad song and... <laughs> It's like, I, give me a break, uh, dude. Come you don't on, have man. To Bro, you're lying. You're lying to me and you're lying to yourself. To yourself. More importantly, you're lying to yourself. That's yeah. the scary part of it. Let it but, go, uh, man. It ain't worth it. Doesn't matter how good the band is. I mean, everybody's got I mean, everybody's got shit songs or shit album, or you know. But but a lot of fans are just blinkered and just oh no, everything. Metallica fucking suck, man, and they have done. Uh, and I hope this does offend people because they fucking suck. And and Lars, <laughs> and, and Lars Ulrich's one of the worst fucking drummers in music, not just in metal and music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but man, yeah, like, like um, we said, it's important to just be real about your opinions. And totally, any long-running we, band is not going to have a perfect record. That's just a fact. Nope. Yeah, we as much as we love Priest, we acknowledge when they when they aren't that good. You know, we did. Exactly. Um, we got it. We're gonna have to revisit Demolition sooner. Cover Jugulator. We kind of did days, today we, we, for that terrible yeah. re-recording of Rapid Fire. I, I, yeah, I actually don't. I bought Jugulator when it came out, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I don't think Jugulator is a bad album. I think there's good Jugulator's stuff. Jugulator's all right. A couple it's songs more, are good. Yeah, Demolition is, Files is a great tune. Uh, yeah, Jugulator's not bad. Demolition is like oh, Demolition unbearable. Is shit, man. Sucks, man. Aye, but Jekyll and Hyde, fucking hell, Cyberface. No thanks. Really bad, man. Really bad. Mm-hmm. Utter shite. <laughs> All right. And Joe, if the listeners want to check out In the Lap of the Pods, they can do that on all the usual streaming places. Yeah. Anywhere that you Spotify. listen to Metal Pods. Yep. yep. Anywhere. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, all that. Yep. There we go. Tom, how can the listeners get in touch with us? So, Listeners, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Metal Gods Pod. You can also email us at metalgodspodcast at gmail.com. We're always open for inquiry. We take 
questions, comments, general discussion. If you have a song you'd like to cover or if you'd just like to have a chat with your hosts, you can find us at those two places. We dabble with Facebook occasionally, but not not really. Not a lot of action going on there. Not a lot of discussion yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, man. On Facebook Twitter, we're very active. Platform. Yeah, tw- um, Facebook is like a dead platform. I don't even have it on my phone anymore. Yeah. And I think Absolutely. a lot of people our age could say the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely not there. Like, you know, my, we should... I don't know, man. Maybe we got to do like TikTok or something. My wife uh, is on TikTok <laughs> a lot. And like, just there's like, it's yeah, like, if you can figure low... out how to do it, <laughs> you set that yeah, up. Yeah, man. Bro. Like, because like, it's such low effort content and you can just get like so much exposure doing it. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool, man. Joe, it's been an awesome time hanging and shooting the shit with you, dude. Likewise, man. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I listen to it a lot, so it's been really, really oh, cool so hanging cool. with you guys, thank man. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much, thank Joe. You. Thanks, Joe. All right, listeners. So go check out Joe and In the Lap of the Pods. And until next time, stay locked in and keep defending the faith. <laughs>